Yeah, so that went up to two or three thousand signups a day. It was actually pretty funny. We used to have a Slack notification that just like told us every time someone signed up and they had a little bell. And yeah, the day Alicia Keys signed up was the day we turned that notification off. Great problem to have, but it was, yeah, got pretty annoying pretty quickly. <laughs> That's Alex Zacharia. He's the co-founder of Linktree and the guest on this episode of People Building Businesses. Do you remember the most annoying thing about Instagram? That link in the bio of every user. Users could only add one link to their bio, which meant they had to update it all the time for new content. It was very frustrating. All that's changed in the past few years, and a company from Melbourne is the reason behind it. Linktree was created to take you from that one link in your Instagram bio to a place where you could link to all your different products, content, and sites. Like a tree of links. It now has over 7 million users, with people like Gordon Ramsay, Selena Gomez, brands like Qantas, The Killers, Wix, and L'Oreal, among others using the product. It's a super exciting growth story, and Alex Zacharia was incredibly open about a lot of that when we spoke to him. We covered how their side hustle picked up over 2 million users in the early days, how to achieve exponential organic growth, and how Alicia Keys played a part in their growth story. We also talk about founder mental health, staying ahead of the competition, and turning down VC money. Before we start, this podcast is brought to you by the team at YBF Ventures. We run tech innovation hubs in Melbourne and Sydney. We help our startups to scale, scale-ups to succeed, and corporates to innovate. You can find out more at ybfventures.com. My name is Jason Lim, and welcome to People Building Businesses. Alex, welcome to People Building Businesses. Uh, true to our name, the goal of this podcast is to really understand more about how you've built Linktree. And we are actually users of Linktree ourselves. Um, I think we've started using it since 2018. So pretty awesome to be speaking to you. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me and thanks for using Linktree. Yeah, no worries. What's interesting for us is that, you know, when we started using Linktree, we never realized that your team was actually Australian-based. So I think that's a great place to start. Could you tell us a bit more about your background and where you came from? Yeah, sure. So I grew up, I grew up in Australia. Um, I've worked with my brother for a lot of like, uh, you know, through my teenage years and early, um, early adulthood, um, working at our parents' business, uh, who imported musical instruments. Um, I went to uni straight out of school uh, for a couple months and absolutely hated it. Definitely was not for me. Um, Anthony, my brother actually finished, uh, the course and then, uh, yeah, he moved up to Sydney. I was running parties, um, and managing DJs and kind of living the dream, um, <laughs> at the time and yeah. just like, having fun doing those kinds of things. And, um, we realized that, yeah, there was a whole bunch of the music industry that was not really actually taking advantage of marketing technology. Um, that say brand and e-commerce was taken advantage of. So we started a digital agency together, my brother and I, um, called Bolster, which was to specialize in uh, digital strategy and digital uh, marketing for music and entertainment. Uh, and so work with the biggest festivals in the country and, and artists and record labels and um, moving out to a broader entertainment. Um, and yeah, about a year into that journey, we recognized there's no easy or efficient way to link out of 
Instagram, especially from a marketing perspective. And there's a whole bunch of pain that came around that from being able to, you know, not being able to link to multiple links or multiple, like, you know, multiple revenue streams. Um, and, uh, and our clients were having the same kind of pain. So we, yeah, set out to solve that problem really for ourselves um, and for our clients. This is a really simple product focused solution on being able to solve that problem in, in a simple way. And just revisiting your, your university comment, you actually studied entrepreneurship at RMIT, didn't you? So that's pretty funny. I did. <laughs> you yeah, must have I did. learned a lot in your uh, couple of months. <laughs> it was, um, yeah, the, Anthony actually did the core entrepreneurship uh, six years ahead of me and loved it. I think they changed it when I, when I went. So it was um, a little bit more academic than I would have liked and quite a few of my classmates actually left as well. I felt like I could probably go learn a little bit more doing it myself and failing than um, being kind of sitting there and reading off a whiteboard. It seems like it takes a lot of courage to kind of just drop out of uni one day and, and start your own thing. It must have taken a lot of, uh, a lot of bravery on your part. Yeah, I guess so. It didn't, it didn't feel, I mean, yeah, my parents weren't, weren't a fan. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> hopefully I'm paying that debt back now. Um, but yeah, yeah. It, was a, it was, it was a, it took some convincing at the time, but I think, uh, definitely the right decision. I went and did a bunch of my own things and kind of, you know, I'm sure there was plenty I would have learned there if I stuck around, but it um, definitely didn't, didn't feel like it suited me at the time. And it sounds like you grew up in a family of entrepreneurs as well. Did you know from a young age that you were always going to start your own company or multiple companies actually? Yeah, I think that's definitely something I didn't know. I, I think I've always said for a long time that I would, uh, would never work for anyone else. Um, not because you know, that's a, a bad thing. And the thing I think it's just for me, it's just, I always felt like I was always trying to do my own thing and um, wanted to, yeah, wanted to, you know, I always had kind of had ideas and wanted to be able to execute on those. Um, so I think, yeah, from an early age, I did know that I wanted to, um, yeah, be, be either starting companies or at least um, doing my own thing in, in my own way, whether that be, it, it, even if that was on a, a smaller level of freelancing or being a sole trader. And um, what was the first entrepreneurial experience you've had as a kid? I mean, everyone has that kind of lemonade stand story. You know, I'm sure you've got one hiding away in your back pocket. Ah, uh, it's a good question. Uh, I think I, I remember in primary school trying to sell, uh, set up like a little stand under a pine cone tree, trying to sell pine cones and stones. Um, <laughs> and I think it was like tan bark as a, as a currency, um, which was a bit of fun. But, you know, early during school, I was running... Um, a lot of events and parties. Like I think I was in year 10 running the year 12 in university students, um, after, formal after parties and those kinds of things were just uh, promoting and, and organizing was something that I could like, you know, felt comfort in and, and, and enjoyed doing. Uh, and I also, I loved doing sound engineering. So I did a lot of that, um, started my own sound engineering business and rented out audio equipment and, and did a lot of that through high school as well. Um, so yeah, I think it was kind of always just trying to make my own, make my own way in, in those ways, I guess. And um, just shifting the clock a bit further uh, to, the, to the future, what was your experience like running an agency like Bolster? It sounds like you've got a couple of different companies under that kind of Bolster group before you uh, went into Linktree. Yeah, it was an incredibly exciting ride, I think. And, you know, and, and that, you know, the, the agency's still going really great. Um, it's, you know, grew from one to 18 employees in the first year um, and then to 35 or so the following year. So it was kind of a, a pretty rapid growth 
especially by you know an agency standard that it was uh designed to be very niche and very focused um but i think by having that niche and having that absolute focus where we do nothing but digital for music and just know it so well that it's a no-brainer to really um work with us when it when it comes to you know if you're running an event of that style so um yeah that was an incredibly exciting you know we learned so much about building teams and what not to do when building teams and um you know uh dealing with processes and operations as you scale and, and a lot of that's definitely helped and assisted in, in scaling linktree now for sure so moving into linktree now uh Legend has it that you founded it in 2016 as a side hustle with your, your brother Anthony and your friend Nick. Uh, you, you briefly delved into some of the initial inspirations behind Linktree, but could you shed some light maybe into when that light bulb really turned on in your head? Yeah, so we we're managing DJs, I was managing an artist, um, like a pop artist as well. And it really, you know, whilst doing it for clients, it really, like the pain point came to us when it was just like consistently having to change the link in bio. Um, all the time, whenever we posted, and he was posting, you know, a new a new record or a new video or a new merch item every week, and or two or three times a week, and so or like new vlogs, um, and so having to change that link in bio was pretty frustrating. And uh, it sounds super cliche, but it was genuinely one of those like woke up in the morning, like isn't it simpler just to have a link in bio and we just like one single link and you never change and you have a separate app to be able to manage it from. And at that stage, we had. You know, we were kind of people, um, you know, so my brother, Nick, uh, so it's, well, my brother, Anthony, uh, who started the agency, the digital side of the agency with, and then our friend, Nick, who we started the creative side of the agency with and co-founded Linktree with. Uh, we were always kind of coming up with ideas, but ne not necessarily having the time or resources to go execute them and weren't necessarily that great at being able to you know, write technical specifications or go to like in depth, the depth needed in briefing to be able to like use it, outsource, um, outsource talent to be able to build those things for us and, and, and not having the cash to do so. So we had really like found, wanted to find a way to have an engineer or developer in house to be able to just build those ideas with us. And so we uh, sold some websites to music clients so that we could afford to hire a developer. Um, and then he would have some time on the side to be able to just work with us on ideas and, um that developer still works with us today which is which is awesome and and he he you know we gen we woke up but we came to work that day and i said hey you know can't we can't we just have a way simpler way to do this and explain the idea to him and he just understood it immediately and him and nick kind of went away for the day and and had basically a, a very rough mvp after about six hours um came back to me and i was like yeah that's that's exactly what i had in mind Wow, that's incredible. And when did it go from a side hustle to like a real business? When did you shift your focus completely to Linktree? Yeah, so it would have been uh, late 2018. So we were, you know, it was really scaling whilst the agency was scaling so much. And then also Linktree was was uh, scaling. So when we had launched, it was sort of 10 signups a day, then went to 50 a day. And, and once we, a few months later, we completely refactored and rebuilt it properly as we saw so many users were actually really interested in, and this was actually a pain point that was beyond just us. Um, and so really for a couple of years, we were, uh, you know, either staying at the office extremely late or going home and, and continuing to work on it um, and running this side hustle. So it was probably, you know, we were at least 1.5 to 2 million users before we, had really completely um, separated and, and gone all in on it. That's incredible. 1.5 to 2 million users for a side hustle is 
a pretty crazy metric. Yeah, it was. Um, I think I think that was a realization for us. <laughs> and <that's, laughs> I think that was like we're like this is you know this is scaling and this is something that's so important to us <laughs> and it's solving a really important problem that we should really go um put a lot more eggs into this basket and 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 focus on it a lot more. That's crazy. And how did you achieve growth so rapidly in those early days, especially when you weren't even full time working on Linktree then? Yeah, look, I think we have you know the fortune that the product is the marketing strategy you know that that uh late you know when by, by its very nature you share a link tree um and that's always when we've kind of thought about ideas or products that we want to build that's a, a really key kind of um you know checkbox to, to tick to make sure that we can gain organic growth and, and it's that's the reason why we've been able to build so much organic growth around it and um you know we only started spending money on paid marketing in november last year well beyond three million users um, and so that's been able to be incredibly organic. We have users sharing it, um, obviously by its very nature, but it's also, um, there's been some key strategies and it's all about just like really focusing on the product. And, and we get this question a little bit, but, and generally people are expecting me to have some kind of like crazy hack or like growth hack or marketing hack. And it really is just about focusing on the product, just making a product actually solve a problem for that user, add value to that user's life, and they're going to share it and they're going to tell people about it um, and making it such a useful tool that people just immediately understand its use case when they land in it and share it. Um, we also worked, you know, when we started, I think early 2017, we had uh, Alicia Keys signed up, which was definitely the first major influential user that, that signed up. and had a lot of validation for us because obviously we had music in mind when we first built Linktree um, and for a major musician to sign up and, and see the value in it. And we've had um, some kind of top-down strategies that we've employed around that, around making sure that, you know, we went to um, Alicia Keys' team and said, hey, how, you know, what can we do for you? How can we make this better? How can we make sure this is adding more value to you? Um, and really did this white glove service with them so that they signed up the rest of their roster. Um, and that's still a strategy that we, we use today to make sure that we're signing up more and more influential users, which then obviously they have made drivers on them. Um, and over 60% of our signups come from self-referred users seeing other link trees. That's incredible. So you actually practically reached out to Alicia Keys' management team to get them on board your product. Um, they signed up organically. Um, oh, once okay. So once we saw that happen, um, we reached out to them and said, you know, what else can we do for you? Uh, and when you, that, you know, on their same label, stable or as part of their digital agency roster, they had, you know, Eminem, Tupac, The Killers, Pearl Jam, um, which were all kind of, you know, we really worked to make sure that they then sign up the rest of their roster, which is, yeah, st still a really similar strategy to what we use today. So what was growth like before and after someone like Alicia Keys signed on your product? Did you see exponential growth after that? Yeah, so that went up to two or 3,000 signups a day. Um, and yeah, so that was, we definitely saw some pretty meaty growth. It was actually pretty funny. We used to have a Slack notification that uh, just like told us every time someone signed up and they had a little bell. Um, and yeah, the day, day Alicia Keys signed up was the day we uh, turned that notification off. <laughs> yeah. must, be, must have been quite irritating, like the constant yeah, thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great, great problem to have, but it was, yeah pretty annoying pretty quickly <laughs> and, and how did you manage the customer service aspect of things as you kept growing because that's not a very scalable thing customer service but thousands of people coming on board how did you keep up with that demand 
to be honest, we didn't. Uh, it was kind of, you know, we, it was really just us jumping into intercom, you know, thousands of messages per day, um, trying to trying to get back to them. Um, we tried to automate as much as we could, but eventually we, and, we, and it was something that we probably should have focused on a lot earlier. Um, we definitely, you know, we tried to be, you know, the core of Linktree is its simplicity. We try, everything we do from a product and design perspective is to uh, enhance its simplicity and to make it just so incredibly simple to sign up and to use uh, that we generally, uh, you know, we find users that are able to work it out generally them, themselves. And, and when we're seeing a lot of users and a lot of questions come through and a lot of support requests, we feel like we're doing something wrong. Um, it should be much easier to, to do, do, you know, to solve that. And so we always try to solve it with the product rather than employing more support people. Um, and I think once we got beyond that, we then started recognizing that we need to scale a much bigger support team around this to, to solve that problem. Um, but yeah, it should have happened a lot earlier. Let's say that. Yeah. So, I mean, at its core, Linktree is a very simple product. It's a very simple but very uh, ingenious product to solve a problem that was very quite pervasive in social media. Uh, how does how do you make money off something like a Linktree? Is it a subscription based fee that you charge your members? Yeah. So we we had never intended to monetize it. We really just genuinely wanted to solve this problem. Um, and we, you know, our early strategy was to just make sure we continued, given we knew it was so viral and so self-referring and we would just continue to, to scale users and, and onboard users for free. Um, once we had done that, we then recognized quite a lot of functionality and features that users were requesting and, and features and ideas that we had that we wanted to roll out that actually would have cost us money, quite a bit of money to, to roll out from an infrastructure perspective. Uh, so we decided to monetize that and piece it together into into a pro subscription so it's uh it's it's still completely free to use um and then there's also a pro subscription which is six dollars a month which enables you to completely customize your profile see deeper analytics and, and, and insights uh schedule your links and add thumbnails and integrate your facebook and instagram and and do a whole whole bunch of stuff that enhances uh the way you can use your link tree and the results you can get uh but you know for us it's incredibly important that the free version is still of a huge amount of value to our users. Uh, we made that decision really early on that for us, it, for us, we, we always want to try and add value to the pro version and never take value away from the free version. And so by doing that, we can make sure that we're adding value when it, and increasing that value gap between free and pro. So the pro users and power users and those that really see the value in it will use pro and it makes sense for them. But the free version of the product is still a really great version of the product that actually solves the core pain point. Um, and that is because that is our flywheel. That is our marketing engine. Having millions of users on the free version is what enables us to grow the product and not have to spend too much on marketing. And that's actually a great segue to my next question. Linktree really pioneered uh, this category of product for the social media world. But since you've launched, there have been a number of new competitors that have existed or you know, have effectively copied what you're doing. So how do you stay ahead of the curve? How do you innovate to really stay ahead of competitors? Yeah, so you know, there's, with, when it comes to competitors, we kind of look at it in two ways. There's uh, certainly those that are very clearly imitating and, and we see it in, in that way where you know, it's obviously a form of, of flattery and that it's like to the point where our ABN is still in their terms and conditions. Um, and they kind of exist to compete with us and they'll just undercut price. And for them, you know, 
we, the way we see that is that we would actually be far more concerned if they stopped copying us. Um, that means we're no longer innovating. Um, and yeah, and so, yeah, it's really important for us to continue having that, that lens on things. Then there's also competitors, obviously, that have some really great innovations that are building functionality, um, which, like, you know, which is great. It keeps us on our toes. And the way, you know, we got to a point that we, Definitely, you know, at what comes with scale, generally we've noticed, and I'm sure plenty of other founders have noticed, is what comes with scale is also bad actors and spam and infrastructure issues and, and all the rest of it. And so we have to put a lot of resources on making sure that we're protecting our users and building better infrastructure and um, upholding uptime and, and all of those things. So when we're focusing on that, we're not able to focus on features as much. And so when you're much smaller and not dealing with those things, you can basically spend all your time on features. And so we really have focused quite heavily in the last 18 months, scaling our team and our processes so that we do have teams focusing on spam and, um, and security and infrastructure, whilst we also have team focusing on functionality and features and building a better product. Uh, and so that's how we keep up now, but um, more importantly, keep innovating and keep ahead of the curve. Uh, so a lot of the functionality we're building out and the features we're building out at the moment, we're incredibly excited about uh, that we'll continue to just push the, the, you know, the innovation curve forward of this entire category that we created. And could you just give us a bit of a flavor of uh, the new features that you're building out? So I understand you have things like analytics now as well. Yeah, for us, it's about, you know, what we're really our vision and what we're really trying to do right now is to democratize the internet and to democratize the entire digital presence. And right now we do a really great job of enabling anyone who wants to be able to have their own little place online or to be able to do business online, to be able to do so in under 30 seconds and do it incredibly simply. And that's very much around engagement, driving conversion. Everything about a link tree is about driving conversion. So if you know, and a lot of our product tests and our UI, UX, everything around it. If when you look at a link tree, we enable as much customization as possible to enable you to feel like your brand, it represents your brand. But when you land a link tree, you know you're on a link tree. It has a structure, it has a, look, a feel to it and look to it. And you know that when you click on a link tree, you're going to land on a page that is going to send you to where you want to get to. And so uh, when you know, the, the, a lot of our functionality and, and enhancements are continuing to build out the functionality, functionality of a link tree that will enable more than just engagement with content, but allowing things like e-commerce, things like actually not just engagement with content and driving conversion to wherever you need people to go, but also engaging in driving revenue uh, and driving bookings or whatever else it might be to enable you to better run your business. And before we move on to a different topic, uh, could you just share with us a story about uh, which celebrity user you've signed up that has been the craziest for you and your team? Oh, it's a good question. There's, yeah, I think I'll turn back to Alicia Keys because that was the first like pinch me moment of like, wow, there's a major user. But then, you know, I think as we get those kind of that kind of caliber of user in each vertical is another pinch me moment when it's just like an entirely new vertical and new use case that we haven't thought of. Um, and generally when we see a major user like that sign up, we see the rest of that vertical follow and a lot of emerging talent in that vertical follow. So Jamie Oliver was another big moment for us and we saw heaps of chefs and cooks. And now we've got Gordon Ramsay and heaps of other amazing chefs. Um, I think Tupac was an interesting one. I didn't quite understand how that one was working. <laughs> um, but then like, you know, it's not just necessarily 
majors and celebrities. It's also amazing brands that we love, like Qantas obviously being Australian, but L'Oreal and uh, for us, like Wix using it, you know, Wix is a website that sells websites and they still use a link tree because they understand how important it is to be able to link out of your socials in a really simple way. Uh, and so, yeah, we get, we get really excited about individual users, but it's also really about everyone else. You know, these users that are, you know, that are really getting online and might be there in emerging markets where they're first just getting used to using the internet in general, or users that are bricks and mortar stores that were selling candles and now working out how to sell candles on Etsy and using Linktree to, to control their entire digital presence. That's what really excites us. That's awesome. Th thanks, Alex, for that, uh, that deep dive into a bit about your product, your growth. Uh, I really want to now understand more about you as a CEO and as a leader of a company like Linktree. Um, you know, having grown from humble beginnings to now having over 5 million users, does that bring pressure to you as CEO? Do you wake up in the morning just kind of going, oh, like there's, there's so much on my plate? Yeah, I think uh, my nature is that I, I probably just kind of bury, <laughs> bury that <laughs> a little bit where, you know, I definitely feel the pressure, but I'm not like the, the inner discourse isn't like I've got so much on my plane, I've got all these millions of users. I think there's very clear things that I'm trying to deal with each day that um, I kind of just like put in front of me and, and deal with. I've gotten, you know, I think when we're scaling the team, certainly throughout this year, when we were a much smaller team in, in March, we had 12 people, we now have 45 people. Um, and so we've, we've scaled quite rapidly and also, you know, really wanted to focus on building a better leadership team um, and having better people around us to make sure we can handle the scale and make sure we can grow globally and, and service our users in a, in a much better way. So um, I've got a really incredible leadership team around me now that, that um, you know, a lot of that anxiety is gone and I know that I can just have to have deal, work with people each day that we can, we can solve a lot of problems. Um, I see it as really exciting. I think, you know, there's, there's so much opportunity ahead of us where we're scaling it. Um, you know, we're over 7 million users now. Um, and we add another million users every two to two and a half weeks at the moment. Um, and so being in, a, being in humble little Melbourne, um, being able to scale those users around the world, um, I wake up every day super excited about being able to do that. Obviously facing heaps of challenges and knowing that I, you know, the biggest thing that gives me anxiety is like I need to learn a lot more and I need to learn it now <laughs> and I need to read a lot more books. Um, yeah. So that's something I'm trying to focus on at the moment. Well, you said in an uh, in a interview with Smart Company that taking care of your mental health is taking care of your business. What has your mental health journey been like as an entrepreneur? Yeah, so this is, you know, I think, for me and my co-founders, Anthony and Eve, like we, when we're running the agency, then, you know, and that was scaling a lot um, and being such a service business, you're dealing with clients, you have a lot of expectations on you, you're dealing with, um, you know, growing a team and everything that comes along with that. Uh, and then also, you know, side hustle going home at night and, and growing this, this app that's got millions of users. I think that was all kind of just like, we're taking an stride and doing it. And there was a period where we actually all lived together which was awesome and we did a lot of work but it was definitely looking back on it a pretty pretty toxic <laughs> environment where we did nothing nothing but work and i uh i think we need to be very grateful to our partners and girlfriends that put up with that um <laughs> in hindsight but i think you know if we didn't have that time in our life we would not have i don't think we would be where we are today in terms of that work that we were able to put in 
that, you know, we weren't able to have time to talk during the day because we are so busy just in the weeds doing things that we could really focus on strategy and talking about what we needed to do together at night. If I had my time again, I would definitely do that, but put a lot more focus on our, on our health and our physical health and, um, you know, actually getting outside and doing um, meditations or getting them out, you know, doing stress relieving. Um, I think at the time, I had like a very poor relationship with sleep. Just I just saw it as the biggest waste of time. I hated the weekends because it meant I wasn't expected to work, um, and I wanted to just work all the time, which I saw as zero problem with at the time. Um, but then I had a little bit of an episode where I injured my back pretty severely um, when I was overseas, which took which basically wiped me out, bedridden for six or so months. Um, oh. And the anxiety that comes with that is how do you run a business? Obviously, you know, obviously I was very fortunate to have Anthony and Nick, you picked up all the pieces, um, but how do you, uh, you know, how do you run a business when you're ill um, and it re really makes you realize how important your health is. So I think uh, that it's not like, you know, and I, when I talk about this, I try to make sure it's like, this is not a woe is me story. This is not about like poor me at all. It's just very much like I, it's, it's an interesting topic because, I would always recommend hustling and doing everything you need to do to just get your hands dirty and get your business off the ground. But there's definitely a happy medium between doing that and, um, and just like finding time for yourself to like actually have, make sure you're looking after yourself and your health and make sure that you're looking after your business is kind of, um, yeah, what I'm trying to get across. And I mean, there are a lot of listeners out there for this podcast uh, who are entrepreneurs or budding entrepreneurs. And a lot of them, don't have that exposure to the importance of mental health. Do you have any practical suggestions for people listening right now on how to find that balance that you described? Yeah, I think it's about understanding your body and just picking up on signals that you are feeling a little bit stressed and, and it's fine to keep working and, and achieving what you're trying to achieve. But, you know, taking 15 minutes out is not going to kill you. You know, taking 15 minutes out is not going to stop you from achieving that piece of work. Um, so I think it's just like listening to your body and actually go for a walk or go for a run or go get outside and sit by a river and be by yourself a little bit. Um, physical exercise and, and or yoga, learning to meditate. Um, I think, you know, those kind of things that are much more prevalent now in, in the ecosystem and, and in community to kind of really be encouraged to learn those things. I think that's definitely something I, I wish I was kind of encouraged to do much earlier. Uh, so I think yeah, definitely listen to that advice. Um, listen to your body. Have you, um, have you got in touch with any founders who've reached out to you about mental health since your article went public on Smart Company? Yeah, it's been, you know, I spoke on, I've spoken on a couple panels about this and, and uh, been in a couple articles about it. And I think there's been quite a lot of founders that have yeah, reached out or uh, really, you know, early stage startups and, and um, that have reached out and, and, you know, actually all come and talk to me after panels and, and be quite excited to talk about it and recognize it as an issue. Um, so I think it's definitely, you know, the, the, the thinking around it is definitely changing in the ecosystem, which I think is really, uh, really a good thing. Um, and especially, you know, I, th I also see it as a, a major uh, responsibility on our, for, you know, for us to take care of our team as well. When our team sees us working that hard or that stressed, it's not a good, not good to look for our team. It's not good for our team to feel like maybe they're expected to work that hard or to do those kinds of things. And I think uh, to be able to make sure that you can 
actually be healthy and be present for your team to be able to implement those things in, in the workplace that enables them to do their best work to make sure that they're feeling safe and healthy and, and active and have the time to do so and, and everything is, is incredibly important. So I think that I actually wouldn't change that entire experience in my life because it's taught me so much. Um, it's completely changed perspective on a lot of things and it's enabled us to really put so much focus on looking at, on, put so much focus on all the initiatives that we do, um, both in our team and actually in the product as well, um, so that we can make sure we're, we're driving this forward and helping our team achieve their best work. Thanks, Alex. And before we move on, I just have one more question about the topic of uh, mental health. Uh, could you share with us perhaps the most challenging time you've experienced as uh, a, a co-founder of Linktree and how you dealt with that challenge? Yeah, I would say, I would say just the time, like early, early days with, when Linktree was really scaling and then dealing with the, you know, also with the agency, you know, trying to find that balance and the context switching between the two companies, um, I think was probably one of the, the biggest overall challenges and being able to find a way to like really focusing on what Linktree needed from me and what, um, what the best way to like put my whole self into Linktree so you can focus on that context and then also do that with, with the agency. Um, and I would say also then just like that stress management side of things, making sure that whilst you're doing all of this, you're actually spending, it's not just about stress and, and physicality and being healthy. It's about like spending time to like learn and read books or, uh, you know, I, I found that, when I was commuting a long time from work, um, from home to work, I would have a lot of time to like listen to podcasts or just be my, by, by myself and think. And then I moved really close to my house, like a, to my office, like a three minute walk. And I found that I was just like, not as creative, not as, um, as I wasn't able to really, um, you know, solve problems as quickly. And I, and I realized later that it was, I just never had the time to like synthesize my thoughts and just be by myself and, and actually, listen to the podcast and, and learn new new things and learn new perspectives so that's something i really built into my day now and i think that was probably a big big challenge throughout time really trying to understand um how to improve that thanks alex and um moving on COVID 19 obviously quite a big topic in the world right now how has COVID 19 impacted your business so we've seen uh we've seen a, a pretty major growth spurt since march uh which, you know, for us, I think we, we see what COVID has done to, you know, it's really driven forward the digital transformation across the world. Something that I think would have maybe taken, and technologists think would have maybe taken five to 10 years to really drive that next stage of digital transformation for a lot of businesses that were still kind of ma mainly offline um, to really drive into being online um, and, uh, a lot of these users, I think, have been forced into needing to do that and being online much quicker than they were planning on being. And, and for us, being such an incredibly simple solution to be able to get online, we've seen the benefit of that of users really jumping on board and finding a solution to be able to get online. And we're seeing that none of that, even as in some countries around the world, that the COVID situation is easing, those users are still staying on board and still driving their digital presence, which I think is incredible that it's kind of uh, pushed pushed a lot of people into um, making that transformation a lot, a lot uh, sooner than they would have. Um, but really taking that in their and continuing on, on with it and seeing that as a new revenue opportunity uh, for them. So, and we're seeing that across so many different 
so many different verticals. Uh, you know, we've seen the restaurant industry now turn to QR codes and digital menus and delivery when they never would have expected to do that. And now that in a lot many cities, that's no longer a problem. They're still sticking with that because they're seeing the revenue opportunity um, and generally using something like a link tree to be able to be online and have that presence combined there and unify their entire digital presence. So um, it's obviously had a positive impact in that area. The agency, not so much, obviously being in entertainment has been affected um, a little bit there. And obviously I don't, I don't work in the agency at all anymore, but um, that's definitely been, you know, we've definitely <laughs> as founders seen both ends of this spectrum with regards to what COVID has done. And has COVID changed the way you as a team operate as well? I'm guessing you've moved to more remote work as well for your entire team? Yeah, I mean, we are an incredibly flexible work environment. Uh, we, you know, very much, as long as we're doing great work, we don't care where you're doing it from, how you do it, what time you're doing it. Um, and so we were very much set up to do that. And we actually sent our entire team home three or four weeks before the government requested us to. And we just, you know, just because we were sensing the anxiety growing in the air of just people not really wanting to be on public transport and feeling a little bit uneasy about things. So we just sent everyone home and didn't have the expectation to come to the office at all. That, I think we, you know, what we've really learned is that we figured it would be totally fine and easy given we've always had this flexible work environment where people are set up to go work from home. They've got laptops, everything's in the cloud and the rest of it. But a few people working from home and a lot of people in the office is very different to everyone working from home and everyone being out um, and being very interesting to watch some people really take to it and love it. And then some people kind of go, oh, I really need that environment where I can communicate and collaborate. And, and so we've been doing a lot of systems and processes around how to make people feel less alone and make sure people feel like they can collaborate. Um, like I said, we've gone from 12 to 45, basically during that COVID period. Um, and so actually, you know, 30 or so people I've never met um, and most of our wow. team I've never met. Um, which is incredible, you know, and, and obviously it's really enabled us to build processes and onboarding systems around um, how to do that in a remote world. Um, and that will continue um, moving forward. So um, yeah, it's been, been an interesting ride and I, and I hope we can make sure we can continue to improve that experience. We, we um, survey our team weekly at the moment just to make sure that we're, we're doing all the right things to make sure people feel connected. Um, and something we implemented yesterday, which is like an automatic a Slack channel that automatically pairs people together. They have um, half an hour coffees um, or virtual coffees on the company to be able to get to know each other because there's just so many people that haven't met yet. And what's your view on what a post-COVID workplace will look like? I mean, different companies have taken different approaches. For example, Twitter, um, they've decided that they're going to be remote working you know, forever. Um, <laughs> what's your view on that? Yeah, I think we would, uh, you know, our plan so far is we're going to go with a hybrid approach where, well, you know, if you want to be remote, you can be remote. If you want to be in an office, there's an office for you to be in. Um, we're definitely finding, obviously, those creative people, designers, marketers really want to collaborate and be around each other. Um, even engineers, generally, there's a kind of stereotype around technical people and engineers who just want to be alone and, and be... Um, you know, in that kind of like stereotypical dark cave of a room and, and, and code way. But uh, quite a lot of our engineers are saying, I really miss the office and I want to get back or they don't necessarily have a home environment where they can be productive. So they want to be able to leave their home. Um, and so I don't think for, for that reason, we're not going to go entirely remote. We still want to have an environment where our team can, can come together and get to know each other and collaborate and have that social aspect as well. Um, but making sure that we're really 
set up a process and environment where everyone can succeed and do their best work remotely as well. Awesome. Um, moving on to the next topic that we have in mind, uh, finance, VC funding specifically. Um, mm. Have you ever been approached by VCs who wanted to put money into, into Linktree? Oh yeah, all the time. Um, <laughs> which is, yeah, exciting and humbling and, and validating and it's, and it's awesome. And, and, you know, obviously we talk to them. Um, we've always, we've very consciously been bootstrapped, um, bootstrapping two companies. We, and, and, you know, it's just the kind of, to be honest, it was out of naivety in the very early days around just like not really understanding what was possible around VC. Um, getting to know it a lot more and learning about it and speaking to a lot of VCs. I think, you know, it's definitely not off the table for us, but I'm really proud and really happy that we're bootstrapped it so far and will continue to be bootstrapped. Um, I think it's incredibly important as a founder to really learn how to grow a profitable business and to make those, those decisions with that kind of thinking in mind so that when you do bring on funding, you can just add fuel to the fire and, continue to be profitable or dip into, into the red, but still have line of sight of profit. Um, and that's just kind of the approach. And, and obviously we're fortunate where we've been able to build a business that has organic growth and we can build and not have to spend huge amounts. Our cost per acquisition is tiny, um, which, is, which is awesome. And there's obviously businesses that need a lot of capital. So it's not for everyone. But I think if you have the opportunity to bootstrap and it's possible, I, I would always encourage that um, for as long as you can before you bring on, bring on funding. Will there ever be a time where you consider VC funding in the future? I'm not ruling it out. Um, I think it's something that we would definitely consider, um, you know, at the right time to bring on the right team. You know, I think uh, it's so incredibly important for us you know, the way we look at that is 99.9% .9 of our users are outside of Australia. We have a lot of work to do in building a, a great team across the US and, and European and, and Asian, the Asian continent. Um, and there's so many corners we can't see around that, that I'm sure VCs and great teams and other strategic investors um, have seen and we'd love to build a team around that. They're all in due course. And I think, you know, when we make that decision, if we make that decision, I think we'll, we'll do it when it's right for the company. And, and the right to you know be able to to fuel the product fuel the product um to to scale our growth and you know it's great to be at seven million users incredibly exciting but there's billions of users we want to help um and so uh whatever's best for the product and the company help us get there that's actually pretty funny because i'm sure vcs don't take rejection very often <laughs> i'm sure you've heard a couple of vc feelings along the way uh yeah look i think we're definitely in a fortunate position where it's, <laughs> it's work working that way. And I think there's, uh, yeah, we've had some interesting conversations, but uh, it's been great to, to learn a lot more about that world. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, one last question before we uh, call it a day, Alex. Uh, what does the future hold for Linktree? Yeah, for us right now, we're really just focusing on, on continuing to consolidate and streamline uh, user flows on the internet and, and really unifying digital presence and democratizing the internet. So. Um, you know, the immediate future is really rolling out functionality that continues to enable that, um, enable anyone who wants to be able to do business online to be able to do so. Um, you know, we really expect in three to five years that if you're doing business online or if you have any kind of digital presence, you have a link tree and that's just a no brainer. Um, so yeah, we're really excited to, to get there. Awesome. Alex, thanks so much for being on the podcast. We appreciate you taking time out of your day to, to speak with us. 
Nice. Thanks for having me.